Welcome to the Bible Mind Podcast, where we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to see everything in life from a biblical mindset. Hi everyone, Theophilus here. This is now the fifth week that we're going over why Christians need to care about the Jews. And I hope that you've listened to every episode and that it's beginning to really be anchored in your heart and spirit. God wanted Jew and Gentile to be joined together. He wanted us to become one. He wanted us to learn from one another because we really can't be complete without the other. Uh, We as Gentiles, for all of you Gentiles out there, we do need to be connected to the root system. God created a root system starting with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And so we have been grafted into their root system. We have been brought into their community. We have been adopted into their family. And it's not the other way around. And I know from my friend who has a ministry in Israel, in Jerusalem, that she often mentions how the Messianic churches, oftentimes their churches resemble Western Christianity, not necessarily the synagogue. When Jews become Christians, they can lose their Jewish identity. And we really don't want to have that happen. We don't want to encourage that because that's part of our Christianity is the Jewish identity, is the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew history, especially biblical history. And we need to reflect upon our Western Christianity because it doesn't look like the book of Acts when God originally gave birth to the church. And the book of Acts is a picture of what the church should look like. And so we don't want to lift up Western Christianity as if it is the pinnacle of what the church needs to be. As a Christian, me included, we do feel like we have the answer, which is Jesus Christ, right? Everybody needs to put their faith in Jesus in order to be saved. In a sense, we do have that answer. But I think that's why Paul said in, you know, the whole Romans 9, 10, and 11, see that you do not boast against the Jews. We can possibly do that because we're thinking we have the answer and the Jewish people are in this state of blindness and they can't see. And so they are limited and lacking, whereas we know. And so we need to really think about our attitude towards the Jewish people. For a time, as the natural branches, they've been broken off. But we learned from Joseph's story last week, that God is able to graft them back in. And we see that when Joseph is reunited with his Jewish family. And we also discussed how when Jesus comes back, that parallels Joseph's rise to power. It would be a context of a one world government. All of the land, all of the resources, all of the animals were all given to Pharaoh in exchange for bread. Let's reflect upon that in our modern day, how we are being given given stipends from the government, it's a pattern, right? The government feeds us, the government gives to us in exchange for all of our ownership, all of our resources, all of our money. And so they have everything in their power and then they dole out to us as the citizen, whatever it is they think we need. In the same way, it happened in the time of Joseph and it will happen when Jesus comes back because that will be the context 
before the second coming of Christ is this one world government where power is concentrated into fewer and fewer hands until really all of that power will reside in one man. And we know him to be the Antichrist. All that to say, the time is later than we think. I'd also like to encourage you to do this one thing, and that is to share these podcast episodes with other people. They care about Israel. They care about the Jews. They would be interested. Maybe they don't know that much about the end times and that they would be open to it. Basically, whoever you think would be interested. One thing that I would definitely like to focus on more is content creation, whether it be this podcast or writing articles, writing books. I'm definitely interested in reaching out to the body of Christ. I care about the lost, unreached people groups, the broken and oppressed in our society, all of these different categories of people. But I feel like my burden is to reach out to the church. I feel like there are different subjects that have not really been talked about. They haven't been taught And it's something that I truly want to fill that void where God is raising up the body of Christ and making her into a pure and spotless bride ready for his coming. So that's my heart. That's my passion. If you think of me, will you please pray that I would be led to the right opportunities and that God would sovereignly be in control of the ways that I use my time. So today we're going to talk about how we need to be grafted into God's vine that he first established in Israel. And we're going to look at different pictures in the Old Testament showing how Gentiles were always brought into the community of the Jews and never the other way around. So just like we looked at the story of Joseph and how Jesus is always speaking in parables, he used the natural history or the story of Joseph's life that actually happened to speak a parable to us in his word. And so we'll see that in other pictures in the Old Testament. But first, I want to share with you a specific verse in Ephesians 2 that really highlights our lostness as Gentiles, apart from being part of the community of Israel. It's really Ephesians 2 verse 12, but I'm going to read from verse 11 all the way to 13. It says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I just want you to meditate upon that, that we were aliens and strangers from the community of Israel, the true people of God, and the covenants of promise, that we were without hope and without God in the world. I remember when I was a young Christian and I first came across this verse and I read it, it was kind of like that lump in their throat type of moment. And I was like, wow, that's intense. I was without hope and without God in the world. For thousands of years, the one and only true God, the creator of heaven and earth, he was localized into one people group. Only one people group had the revelation of God given to them. And that was Israel and the Jews. 
And depending on what they did, whether they were a city set on a hill that shined the light of God, or they intermingled with the nation surrounding them and therefore obscured the picture that God wanted to display through this nation, it would affect the whole world. Think of all the different things that have come through the nation of Israel. And in Romans 9, starting from verse 4, Paul lists out many of those key things. The adoption into God's family the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, or what the Jews would call Torah, or instruction for life, the service of God, the promises, the fathers of not only the Jewish faith, but the Christian faith, because Abraham is the father of us all. And finally, Jesus Christ came through the Jewish people. In Romans 3, Paul makes it very clear that the oracles of God were committed to the Jews. And Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he said, for salvation is of the Jews. She didn't know what she believed, but the Jews They did know what they believed. So that goes for every other Gentile in the world. They were believing all these things that they did not know what they actually believed because they didn't really truly know God. But only the Jews did. And despite whatever mistakes the Jews have made throughout their history, God has committed himself to them. He has been faithful to preserve them even after 70 AD when Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed and the Jews were scattered to the winds. It would be impossible for one people group to be disseminated like that and still retain their history, their culture, their traditions, their religion. But yet the Jews are a miracle in and of themselves and display the power and sovereignty of God to fulfill his promises. Not to mention Israel becoming a nation again after so many centuries of it being not a nation. Isaiah alluded to this in Isaiah 66, 8. Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. The answer to that question is yes, a nation can be born in a day. On May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation again. Now we're going to explore different passages in the Old Testament. And I want to go back to a verse where I see the first instance where Gentiles are joining to the community of the Jews. The context of this passage is when the Jews were finally delivered from Egypt. They went up out of Egypt and it says in Exodus 12 verse 38, a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds a great deal of livestock. And we have to realize that during the time of the judgments that people were hearing about the God of the Jews. They knew what Moses was saying to Pharaoh. I'm sure the servants that were standing by, listening to the encounters, watching what was going on, they went home and told their families, this Hebrew, he's saying all this stuff to Pharaoh, he's confronting him, and then whatever he says, it happens the next day. And that's why we're experiencing all these judgments. God had also made a distinction between the Egyptians and everyone else who lived in Egypt and his own people. Because the one place that was protected from all the judgments was Goshen, where the people of God lived. So everyone knew and understood where these judgments were coming from. And by the time they left, they're like, I'm out of here. I totally want to go with you guys. Please take me with you. And in a sense, you can almost hear them say, I know your God is the real God. 
So when these Gentiles join with the Jewish community, how close did God want them to be with the Jews? We can see that when we go into that verse. And I'm going to look at the original Hebrew of the word mixed. And this is a very interesting word. The outline of the biblical usage is woof, W-O-O-F. And I'm going to explain that word in just a couple of minutes. It's as mixed or interwoven, a knitted material. And another usage, of course, is mixture, mixed people, mixed company. And when I look into the Strong's definition of the word, it says the web or transverse threads of cloth, as well as a mixture of people or mixed race or mingled people. In weaving, you have threads that go into two different directions, and they're called the warp and the woof, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But as you weave those threads, they're put on a loom and they go in two different directions to make one fabric. This reminds us of the manifold wisdom of God or a many colored cloth, and also reminds us of Joseph's coat of many colors. One fabric, many different colors, many different people groups, many different different races. This is what God had intended from the very beginning, but it was hidden in these pictures in the Old Testament. So when I first discovered the definition of the word mixed, I mean, it just blew my mind because I'm like, God is really connecting the dots here. And you can look up this word yourself if you go into the interlinear in the blue letter Bible app. But you could also look up this word online. It's Strong's number H6154. And that would be the Hebrew for the word mixed in this verse. And this would be a great time to discuss a Bible study principle called the law of first mention. So when anything is ever first mentioned in the Bible, it carries a special significance. And that particular context characterizes a lot of that topic or that word for other places in the Bible. For instance, the word love. It's first found in Genesis 22, where Abraham takes Isaac up Mount Moriah and God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son, the son whom you love. And so when God speaks of love, he's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross. He's talking about how he prepared himself to sacrifice his own son for the sake of all of us. To him, that is love. So when we have this passage where it's the first mention of Gentiles joining the Jewish community, God is speaking about interweaving Jew and Gentile together into one community, one fabric, one new man, as stated in Ephesians. The mystery that has been hidden for all of these ages, God has revealed in the New Testament, but concealed in the Old Testament. Next, we're going to look at the story of Rahab, and she was the harlot that lived in Jericho. And when the two spies entered into the land, she was the one that hid them and then released them on their way to bring the report back to Joshua. Before they parted ways, this is what she told them. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And you can say that this was Rahab's confession of faith. God used the exodus of Egypt to bear witness to the peoples of the world that he was the true God of heaven and earth. And here you see Rahab hid the spies because she actually believed that. She put her faith in what this God can do and she knew that her city was going down and she didn't want to go down with it. So she made the spies promise that they would deliver both her and her family. In Joshua 2, 17 and 18, the men respond to her by saying, we will be blameless of this oath which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. I looked into this word in the interlinear in Blue Letter Bible app, and it's Strong's number H8144. And when you look at the concordance of the different places where this word is used, the use of scarlet thread is dominant in the decorations in the tabernacle. Many of the curtains have scarlet thread on them. And the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place had scarlet thread. It's Exodus 26:31. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. In Hebrews 10:19, it says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So the scarlet thread is part of a parable and it's the means to the salvation of all. And in this particular context, specifically the Gentiles, the Jews were faithful to their promise to Rahab. And so when they conquered Jericho, they delivered Rahab and her family. Joshua chapter six, verse 23 says, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. She started outside the camp, but later on she found herself in the community of the Jewish people. And you can see this in Joshua six, verse 25. It later says, so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And remember when we talked about the first mention of Gentiles joining the community of the Jews, God gave us a picture of interwoven threads to make one fabric. So that was his ultimate intention. And we can see that over time, Rahab became one with the community of Israel. Rahab was actually in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and she had given birth to Boaz, who is commonly known as the kinsman redeemer in the story of Ruth, which we will turn to next. But needless to say, that is integration into the community of Israel. And Rahab is actually a picture of the first Gentile saved by the blood of Jesus who has entered into their community. 
when you look at the types and shadows that God had hidden into the fabric of the text. Okay, now we're going into this great little story in the Bible called the book of Ruth. And as we've been speaking about parables, parable is a story that Jesus would tell, but not everybody would know the deeper meaning because that would take place when Jesus pulled aside his disciples and told them privately the meaning of the parable. But many other people who listen to the story, they wouldn't be able to see it. So when we look at the book of Ruth, there is a literal narrative happening, like it really happened in Israel's history and the story unfolded the way that it did. But yet there is a, I'm just going to call it a meta story, a story within a story. So there's a parable within the story of the book of Ruth. And I just want to make clear that I am not quote unquote spiritualizing the text. And I think that people can do that. They just take whatever they see and they make it into a symbol or they say that it means this or that without really looking at the context or the clues that are provided. And in earlier examples, we looked into the original Hebrew and Greek words. God was using those things intentionally in order to tell a story. And we would look at other things like symbols that the Holy Spirit has used throughout the Bible. And we have the benefit of hindsight because we have a completed Bible. The people living in the Old Testament times, they did not have. So they were dealing with a lot of types and shadows. We understand and know more clearly because they were explained more explicitly in the New Testament. So that mystery that was unfolding about Jew and Gentile coming together as one, that was clearly revealed by Paul in the book of Ephesians. Now the book of Ruth starts off, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now for them to move to Moab was a very severe thing. They wouldn't have done it unless they had a very desperate situation. And it says that there was a famine in Bethlehem. So the period of the judges was a really bad cycle of disobedience. God would discipline them. They would cry out. Then he would raise up a deliverer that would rule for a certain amount of time. And then the cycle would start over and over again. And there was no king in Israel. And that was a period of time also when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I truly feel like we are living in that period of time in the earth today. So the circumstances were not quite right. Because if you look into the name of Bethlehem, it actually means house of bread, Beth, house, Lehem, bread. So there was no bread in the house of bread. And they felt the need to move to this other country, which led the two sons to marry these Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. So now there is an interaction between Jew and Gentile. Consequently, the husband and father and the two sons die leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. At first, they both want to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. Orpah turns away, but Ruth cleaves to her. And this is where I want to focus. And if you look into the name of Orpah, it means gazelle, but the root of that word can also mean neck or stiff-necked. We have two different people presenting two different choices. Just like you have two criminals on the cross on either side of Jesus, 
One gets saved and the other is lost forever. It's clear that Naomi had an influence on both daughters-in-law. They both highly honor her. They have a lot of affection for her. They're loyal to her. So she really made an impression during the time that they all lived together. It's that witness. But Orpah remains in her country and she goes back to her family and to her gods. Ruth, on the other hand, is determined to cleave to Naomi, to stay with her, to follow her. And she gives one of the most beautiful speeches of loyalty and faithfulness found in the Bible. And many people have used this in wedding ceremonies, even though this was said from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And that's Ruth chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Just like Rahab had a confession of faith, I believe that this is Ruth's confession of faith. Naomi's people will be her people and Naomi's God, the God of Israel, the one and only true God, the maker of heaven and earth will now become her God. You could see the pattern. It's the Gentile cleaving following hard after the Jew, not the other way around. Because the Jewish person already has this knowledge and the relationship with God from the Old Testament. And later on, we see Naomi instructing Ruth on how to have this encounter and relationship with her kinsman redeemer. So Boaz is a type and shadow of Jesus because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Boaz was a relative to Elimelech, so he had the right to buy back or redeem their inheritance, their land. And when he did that, he also had the right to marry Ruth in order to raise up children for the dead man. So Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam had this mandate and commission from God to rule the earth, but then he lost it because he bought into the lie of Satan. So he spiritually died. And when Jesus came into the earth, he also was a human being, 100% human, just like us. He became our near kinsman, so to speak. And so he had the right to buy back our inheritance. And he did that through his death on the cross. And then he chose to make us his bride. It pains me to stop right now, but I'm almost out of time. So I'm going to have to put a bookmark on this episode and we will continue the book of Ruth next week. And we'll find out more of what it means to be grafted into the vine where the Jews are the natural branches and not the Gentiles. When I look at my podcast dashboard, it says that my minutes will renew on May 10th, which is a Monday and not a Saturday. So just to give you a heads up, the next episode will come out on Monday, May 10th. Until then, take care.